All right. Hey, everybody. Calling all internet beginners and pop culture enthusiasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Media Breakdown. I'm your host, Jordan Paul Slater, the founding editor-in-chief of Incoming, the substack all about social media and why it matters. Oh my gosh, it's so good to actually come back to the mic with a topic that is not depressing, (laughs) but um, I'm so excited for what we're going to be talking about today. So the official Black History Month is over, but the celebration of Black history and contribution to society at large never has an end. And I haven't been able to discuss concepts of Black identity on the internet or any subtopics that fit under that umbrella, so I'm changing that today. I think the second most fundamental part in talking about how Gen Z has formed its own cultural identity online, besides the part that social media apps with their algorithms directly impact it, um, is talking about how a large part of Gen Z culture is co-opted from Black culture, starting with the basics, AAVE. So let's talk about it. What is AAVE? AAVE stands for African American Vernacular English and is the variety formerly known as Black English Vernacular or Vernacular Black English among social linguists, commonly called Ebonics outside of the academic community. While some features of AAVE are apparently unique to this variety in its structure, it also shows many commonalities with other varieties, including a number of standard and non-standard English varieties spoken in the US and the Caribbean. It's also very different from the black scent, which is basically the punctuation or stressing of words in phrases in general phonics. People who speak AAVE also have a black scent. It's extremely difficult to say how many people speak AAVE because it's not exactly clear on what this would mean. Some speakers may use distinctive aspects of pronunciation and vocabulary, but none of the grammatical features that's associated with the variety. This source goes on to explain the debates over how history and the semantics of AAVE have been debated amongst linguists. And I'm gonna put that in the description if you wanna learn more about that, but we're gonna keep moving. There are a lot of examples of AAVE being used online, and I'm gonna give you some examples, which may sound a little bit awkward (laughs) since you can't see me or there's no editing, so I could show you like the actual phrasing, but like a lot of people online use the word your, which is Y-U-R-R, and that basically means yes, um, or per, like the cat noise. (laughs) Um, And that's basically short for period, which is also something that derives from AAVE itself. The phrase he valid is another one, um, which basically means that he's good at either something um, or he's a good person in general, or the subject is good at something, or good in general. Um, And finna is also another one, um, often used in a phrase like finna be a movie, or finna be lit, that's basically just saying would be or will be. Um, There are so many more examples, but those are the most popular ones you'll see online. Um, So why is the internet so obsessed with AAVE, right? Honestly, I don't know. Some people think it's funny, like making fun of black people is is funny to a lot of people on the internet, I guess. But there is an issue and underlying violence with all of this. 
The issue mainly is that white and non-black users are trying to take AAVE away from black people, referring to it as stand speak or internet talk. For example, in 2020, TikTok sensation and self-proclaimed ally Brittany Broski posted a TikTok explaining her thoughts on why she felt it was appropriate for non-black people to use AAVE. The source is linked in the description if you want to know more. She said, and I quote, the Nicki Minaj thing, the big boobs child anyway, that's a meme, obviously. So when someone is well, someone quoting that or when someone says period, sis, snatch, all that, it's very much like Internet culture, like Stan Twitter. Stan culture has its own language, she said. But by doing this, it ignores the actual systemic harm that comes with AABE fluency. Take Trayvon Martin's mom testimony, for example. Source linked in the description, as always. Um, so I'm just going to start reading from this really good report. Rachel Jantel, Jantel, sorry about that, um, was a leading prosecution witness when George Zimmerman was tried for killing Trayvon Martin, but she spoke in AAVE and her crucial testimony was dismissed as incomprehensible and not credible. The disregard for her speech in court and the media is familiar to vernacular speakers and puts linguistics itself on trial. How do we dispel such prejudices and fictions? And then I also have a quote here. That's how I speak. He cannot hear me well. Which is something that she said in the courtroom. I want to stress that there is a fundamental difference between white people using AAVE and other communities of color using AAVE and the black scent. And that's where things get a little complicated. So I asked for some help. To facilitate this conversation, I brought on Jalen Jones, one of the deputy editors for Politically Invisible Asians, a substack set out to dissolve the politically invisible identity from the rapidly growing Asian American community. Jalen, how you doing? How you feeling? Hey, Jordan. I'm doing good. That's so good. Today, Jalen and I will be discussing and breaking down a social media scandal that revolved around another person of color using AAVE and the Black scent. Um, so I'm just going to give a short breakdown and then we can get into the cultural discussion. Um, so this situation happened around the beginning of this year and involved a really popular um, Asian American TikToker named Eileen um, or at Bobakami on TikTok um, and Nina Lin. Um, and basically, the gist is that Eileen made a video where she called out Asian American creators for um, what she perceived to be an appropriation of Black cult culture by using AAVE um, for perceivably clout and profit. Um, and the main target of her video was Nina, who blew up on the app from kind of her attitude and her persona, which was heavily based around kind of the New York accent or the New York culture, um, which can be closely associated with Black culture itself. Um, Lynn grew up in an economically impacted area of New York or like the hood and also apparently went to a predominantly Black and Hispanic high school. Um, so this situation uh, blew up uh, with Nina kind of responding back to Bobo Kami's video saying that 
this is just kind of like the way she talks, the way that she is, her personality. This is how her environment has influenced her to talk. So she's not intentionally appropriating black culture, but um, some users still found an issue um, with kind of the fluid use of AAVE that she incorporated into her brand and her TikTok identity. Um, this feud only escalated when a, a rapper named uh, China Mac, who was a friend of Nina's, um, called out Eileen and went off on her. Um, and there was a lot of activity on Reddit and Twitter of Asian Americans um, and Asian American viewers and other viewers as well um, being super frustrated with kind of Eileen's assertion of appropriating black culture and also there was a tweet floating around um, that kind of resurfaced of when she said that um like violence or prejudice towards asian americans is okay and can is okay in some circumstances um and so that caused a lot of outrage and fueled controversy um and that led them to eventually take down the video um and private all of their accounts uh due to the attacks Apparently everyone involved now has had a conversation and kind of reached some sort of middle ground. Um, but I think this situation allows for a very interesting framework for the discussion of the implications of AAVE and AVE usage and when it's okay and not okay to use it and kind of like more information about that. So yeah, that's pretty much the breakdown. And I kind of want to open the floor for some conversations, for some analysis. Um, so I just wanted to first kind of get your opinion, Jalen, on like why people are so upset with the Bobakami and Nina situation and kind of breaking down the two sides of the argument. <clears throat> yeah, so um, like you said, I feel like you explained it perfectly, but um, people are upset with Bobakami, or sorry, people are upset with Eileen and Nina in this situation because um, first of all, Eileen was making these assumptions that like um, Nina was appropriating a specific culture. She was saying that she was appropriating black culture um, while Nina on her side was saying like, no, I'm not appropriating anything. I'm just talking the way that I talk. This is the environment that I grew up in. And so I'm naturally gonna talk this way. And so there is just a lot of people on both sides agreeing with Eileen, some people agreeing with Nina. Yeah, I feel like at the end of the day, people weren't understanding like just where the other side was coming from. Um, because in terms of like people criticizing Eileen, they were saying that she was sort of pandering towards whiteness by criticizing the Asian American community. Um, and so there's a lot of claims that saying that Eileen was a um, bubble liberal um, and that she, um, was like a self-hating Asian American when in actuality she was trying to um, criticize the Asian American community in a constructive manner. And so that's why she initially came out with those, um, you know, those critiques against, you know, other pop culture Asian American icons, but then also particularly with Nina. And then for Nina's side, the critiques coming towards Nina, um, it seems like she was appropriating Black culture for those who may not know um, where she come, came from. But then also um, there was an instance where she had said the N-word um, and it was, it was just in public. I, and so like, because that was documented, people were, you know, people were reason, reasonably criticizing Nina for that. And so that also, um, you know, sparked some conversation around that issue. 
Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like there are so many like angles here to examine, but also you mentioned global liberalism and some people might not know what that is. Um, so do you mind like giving like a kind of definition of, of kind of what you mean um, by that? Yeah, so um, basically the term bubble liberal has lots of different interpretations, but I think in this case, people were calling Bobakami Boba a bubble liberal for the fact that she seemed like she had a distaste for the Asian American community and that she wanted to, or it seemed like she wanted to move closer to whiteness um, because of the way that she critique Asian Americans by the way that she made a tweet that came back into light because of the situation, um, how she said that Asian American racism should be normalized. Um, and so that seems like, oh, like she's not a real, um, quote unquote, real Asian American because she, she's like saying like, oh, we should normalize racism against ourselves or we should, um, you know, not be prideful in these Asian American things. Um, so yeah, but there's also other interpretations of boba liberalism in which um, it's basically saying that boba liberals will tackle very surface level issues um, mm -hmm. and just identify with Asian Americanness on a completely superficial level, such as like drinking boba all the time and saying like, that's your entire culture. Mm -hmm. um, when, you know, Asian American history is a lot more deeper than that. Um, and so I would personally not think that Eileen is a bubble liberal due to the fact that she understands how um, intertwined like Asian American history and black liberation are. Um, and like she very evidently does believe in the support of you know, black liberation and following black leaders in efforts to also support the Asian American community. I mean, that's just evident in her, in just like past writing that she's released and just things that she's voiced her opinions on. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's what I pulled from the situation. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, which is why I kind of want to ask about it because when I was looking into kind of response to the controversy, I've been seeing that term like, oh, she's a boba liberal. Oh, she just really doesn't care about, you know, the Asian American community. She just wants to talk about black issues for clout. Like that's mm -hmm. kind of the thing. And I feel like that part of it, that contingency of like, are you talking about black issues for clout? Like, is this like a legitimate, sort of argument that you're making and the legitimacy kind of of that also considering Nina's environmental surroundings like how to to what extent are you allowed to be like hey you are appropriating people by speaking in a way that your environment has fostered you to speak in mm -hmm. um it's kind of like that situation is going on but I definitely agree that Eileen is not a Bobo liberal. Um, and also I was like looking into kind of her work that she does. Um, and I mean, like her whole platforms are, her, her whole platform is dedicated to educating people about the Asian American community um, in a way that is kind of like, in my perception, I think it's, it's a very like compassionate and empathetic way. I don't necessarily think that she was trying to like come in and like, attack and step yeah. on toes um but i definitely do think that this i think the situation and like the the timing as well um is kind of like off um 
but I don't, I don't have the exact vocabulary to describe it beyond off, but just it's, mm -hmm. it seemed a little like out of place. I don't know if Nina's like uh, N-word scandal happened very closely to when she made this video. I don't know the actual timeline, but. So apparently I, I was also trying to figure out when stuff was happening. And so apparently it happened like about a year before the situation arose. But then people were like pulling up like receipts of the situation and being like, oh, like Nina, can you explain this? And so Nina actually ended up coming out with an apology for, you know, her use of the N-word. And she mm -hmm. was saying that, you know, she's different, a different person now. She has grown past that. And so she won't be using that term in the future. And so um, it seems like she's learned from that occasion. But yeah, I, that's a totally different conversation on like, how people go about that, so yeah. Okay, well, that is great to know. Um, I don't know, I just, there are so many layers. Um, but actually, let's get into kind of people who are coming from Bobakami's side. And I saw especially a lot of talk in the Black Twitter community because the Black Twitter community has been kind of um, talking and bringing more conversations about um, the relationship between um, Black people and Asian Americans for just like, I guess also in the light of kind of the incredible rise um, in hate crimes against Asian Americans, which is something that we both militantly do not um, support um, in any capacity. Um, but I think there was this kind of nerve that was struck within the Black community that was like that in a lot of conversations about kind of the rise in hate crimes, people being like, well, you talk so much about BLM and Black people are like, don't bring up BLM. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of like, the point I'm making here is that there was definitely an emergence of kind of like anti-blackness kind of in the Asian American community. And I think that conversation also applies um, to this situation because I think a lot of people who were on Bobokami's side are also kind of agreeing that like maybe there is like a certain level of anti-blackness like in the kind of co-opting of AABE from you know a non-black perspective. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on that and kind of like have an open conversation about it. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I definitely agree that like when when we're talking about like the anti-Asian hate crimes that have been happening right now, um, it's not right to be saying like, oh, like there was so much um, visibility for Black Lives Matter, but like, where's the conversation now? Because then that is inherently like anti-Black. You can't be pulling in these other issues that um, you can't be blaming like different communities for just the current state of activism with the Asian American community. Like, um, because when you look at the grand scheme of things, they're both ultimately a result of white supremacy. And mm -hmm. so saying like, oh, like, what about Black Lives Matter? You were all so vocal then, and now people aren't as vocal here for the Asian American community. But it's not like framing it that way makes it seem like we're combating against each other. And so that is anti-Black. Um, ultimately, we should be looking at, we should looking we should be looking at these issues um, as, a, as a result of the same problem. And so there's no room for combating against each other and 
um, trying to say like, what about when you were all vocal about Black Lives Matter? Um, don't be targeting other people. Like we are focusing on these issues now. Um, there's no room for like comparison. I mean, it could, this, this like comparison could be framed as like uh, the oppression Olympics, which I know was like super, yeah. um, it came up with that one like viral video from that Netflix show. I don't know what it's called, but like- Oh, Jenny and Georgia. Oh yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> like, honestly, like it's reminding me of that where if you're trying to compare yourselves to like other community activism, it's as if you're trying to bring up this like oppression Olympics thing. And it's like, no, it's not about that. It's about all of us coming together to combat white supremacy. <clears throat> so um, yeah, I feel like it, that's definitely related to the situation that we're talking about now with like um, Bobokami and Nina. Cause it's like, it's a very thin line to cross, like trying to critique the Asian American community without seeming like you're like addressing anti-blackness for clout because it does seem very like quote unquote in right now for some reason to yeah. be speaking on black issues. Um, but you also need to understand like when is it the right time for you to, to be speaking on these things. Um, and I feel like that's just, that's determined by how educated you are on the subject and how like grand of a perspective you have and understanding you have of the situations at hand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree. And also kind of on the note of how popular it is right now to talk about Black issues. Mm -hmm. I definitely believe that the most recent dis demonstration of the Black Lives Matter movement last year summer was a monumental moment for, I guess, the sociocultural world in the sense that, you know, Blackness and talking about Black issues and being vocal about systemic racism as it pertains to Black people and also other people of color have become like markers of kind of like this social consciousness, even more so. And so I think, you know, but there's always a thin line too, as you're mentioning, like where it's like, are you talking about Black issues because you are really passionate about creating bridges to progress? Mm. Or are you talking about Black issues because it's uh, something that will gain you clout? It will make, make you look, you know, socially conscious and socially yeah. aware and engaged. Um, and sometimes it can be both. And sometimes mm. it can be both. Yeah. Um, but I... I definitely think too there are some issues within I guess the perceptions of non-black people speaking about black issues um in a sense that like a lot of people are like okay like yes let's talk about it but let's listen for like from a black person's perspective yeah. which um, on that I say I think that is absolutely accurate considering like, or absolutely valid, um, considering that a lot of Black voices are not heard mm -hmm. when they're speaking about their own experiences. But if you have a white face over it, you know, it's kind of like everyone flocks to that person to listen to them talk about racism, but not mm -hmm. like the actual Black person who's actually experiencing it every single day. Um, but I also think we just need to continue normalizing having open and 
unapologetic discussions amongst all groups uh, because anti-blackness is not just simply a thing that black people experience kind of like by themselves it's interwoven into everybody's lives every single day um so i definitely and i definitely think in this case like i i don't know i don't get the impression that like again eileen was saying this for clout Mm -hmm. but I don't know. Like for me, again, it still kind of comes off of like left field. I think I also have some personal work to do of just allowing other people to speak about Black issues. Although I did appreciate kind of like not only the tie to Nina, but just talking about like how um, other like really popular Asian Americans like Aquafina like use AAVE as kind Mm -hmm. of like a persona, Um, which I was like, I don't know if Nina and Aquafina, even though they kind of sound similar, but like the like the uh, at the end. Anyways, but I don't know if they fit in the same, I don't know if they fit in the same category yeah. or what the categories are, you know? Exactly. It's just, I feel like because of the popularization of black culture and like how it, how common it is to appropriate it these days, it makes you very wary of like, who should we, suspect as like appropriating this and so I feel like that's exactly why um Eileen was saying like she was so quick to accuse Nina of appropriating black culture because I mean you have so many examples that are rampant in popular culture like how you brought up Aquafina and so it it I don't blame her for thinking that like Nina was just putting on this persona um but then like I think that it's very important for us all to be learners in all these situations because um when Eileen learned more about the situation she ended up seeing that Nina actually grew up in an environment that like they all talk like that apparently I mean China Mac entered himself into this issue and he apparently grew up in the same neighborhood as Nina Lin and so um he was saying that he talks with the same accent and so like Nina shouldn't be accused of like trying to put on a persona because that's just how people from the area talk. Um, so it's, it's a very complex issue. And I think we should all just be, you know, ready to learn whenever more information just comes to, to our way, you know? I definitely agree. And I'll also kind of speaking on the environmental side of it, um, I just wanted to make a quick note on that. Um, And I think there is a lot of issue, like I was talking about earlier in this um, audio, about how the use of AAVE from a non-Black person is like how it's perceived versus when it's like spoken and actually used by Black people. And I think there is this point with how you mentioned the popularization of Black culture, there's also been an awakening of Black consciousness to the point of like, oh, our culture is being literally taken from us every single day and these conversations have been happening for years and years and years but um you know i think more and more every single time like these situations either with nina or with Brittany broski as i talked about earlier where it's just non-black people using aave it's kind of like black people want to start gatekeeping their culture but they don't know how and they don't know where and they don't know kind of what is the line And also talking about kind of like the environmental fostering, like, I mean, it's like they're like, I understand gaining a 
particular way of speech by just being in a situation where everyone around you speaks in this particular way. And if it's a predominantly black area, they're going to speak a, like speak at AAVE. So you, by being around them, are also going to speak it as well. Mm-hmm. But is that anti-Black? Like, is that mere action of just being around Black people and like adapting their speech? Is that anti-Black? Or is it the, or it, it, did Nina take it a step further and start like performing Blackness, which mm-hmm. I don't think she did. So it's kind of like, it's It's really complicated. On? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I think you I think you said it right there like Nina she was speaking as a result of her environment but right when you get to the point of performing a culture that's not yours or performing a way of mannerisms and speech that aren't how you naturally act that's when it's appropriation and that's the point at which it's wrong because you're taking some other cultures mannerisms and way of acting and claiming it as your own and then benefiting from it when people who naturally talk like that and naturally act like that, they aren't, you know, reaping from the same benefits. So I think that's the issue here. Um, and so likely Eileen thought that Nina was performing and that's why this whole situation ended up happening. Yeah, um, I definitely, yeah, I think so. I think Eileen was just kind of like, I don't know. Personally, I feel like just kind of jumping on kind of the cultural train of acknowledging Black issues. She's like, okay, so this seems like the appropriate cultural time for me to speak on this thought that I probably had for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And like, it just so happens that when she decided to speak, other people decided to respond as people do on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just curious about kind of observers of the situation who are Asian American and also maybe like Asian American and Black who are looking at this issue and kind of like, okay, yes, but also no, but also yes. And I'm just, I'm really curious about that kind of perspective um, just in this situation, I guess. Um, Cause I don't know, I don't know if Nina is, is, uh, half black, half Asian. I don't think so, but I don't no. have, I don't have room to speak on people's ethnicities. But I'm just, um, I'm just really interested in kind of hearing like that perspective, and also hearing kind of like the outcry from the Asian community of being like, we don't like this is not cultural appropriation. But is it? I don't know. I just am curious to hear that kind of perspective. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I feel like looking at things from specifically an Asian American's perspective before we get into like other other perspectives, I feel like you do need to recognize the nuance of the situation because um, in Eileen's side of things, you should be addressing anti-blackness in the Asian American community. Um, if you if your end goal is to support the liberation of Asian Americans, that is also contingent upon the liberation of black people as well. And so addressing anti-blackness, that's a thing that you should be doing. And that is the, that was the intent, the original intent of Eileen in this situation. And so, yeah, you should be looking at it from that perspective, but then also recognizing that um, you can't just be making claims about everybody um, based off of just like the little information that you know. And that's, that's where Eileen 
she even recognized this. That's where she went wrong in this situation because she was making these claims about um, somebody's environment and where they grew up and um, went on from there. And so, yeah, you really need to be conscientious of just the way that you navigate approaching anti-Blackness mm -hmm. um, so that you're not um, accidentally perpetuating like what may seem like anti-Asian-ness, which yeah. is what a lot of people accused Eileen of doing. Um, but then speaking on this from like somebody who is Asian American and Black, um, it makes it a really complicated situation because as I mentioned earlier, like anti-Blackness is rampant in Asian American communities. And so it just makes it really uncomfortable for somebody who's both Asian and Black to even just exist in these spaces. Like existing in Asian American spaces is hard for individuals who you know, are literally black. And then you see like accounts of colorism, accounts mm -hmm. of people like reaping from your culture and then getting the benefits without like, you know, actually understanding the nuance and the history behind it. And mm -hmm. so just, it really makes it hard to exist in these spaces comfortably knowing that such anti-blackness is constantly being perpetuated. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, from there, I would just really, um, hope that people t start taking steps towards approaching anti-blackness and making making strides to fixing anti-blackness but then also being very careful in your approach so yeah i definitely agree um, with that and thank you for sharing your perspective um we're running a little bit out of time but um do you have any final thoughts or final reflections that you kind of want to leave with us um, yeah, so hmm. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I mentioned this earlier, but I feel like when you're approaching these situations of just like addressing anti-blackness in the Asian American community and who gets to say what and like um, when's the right time to say things, you just really need to be ready to learn. We're all learning in this situation. We're all like unlearning too. Um, but ultimately our goals are to to combat white supremacy. That's just the ultimate goal from both sides, from the black community, the Asian American community, from individuals who come from both, who are both black American and Asian American. Um, our end goal is ultimately to combat white supremacy because that is what is leading to the discrimination and oppression of each and every single one of these communities, minority groups. And so um, because we grow up in this society that is, um, you know, ultimately, influenced by white supremacy, we have to be constantly ready to learn new ways of thinking and unlearning the ways that we were trained to think because of just the, the racist system that we all grow up in. So yeah, we all just need to be ready to learn. I think that is really a perfect summary of all of this because at the end of the day, no matter what situations we might have from one, um, people per community of color group <laughs> to another community of color group at the end of it those problems are continuously perpetuated by white supremacy and that is kind of like the main focus um and then we can hash out the kind of situation of whether or not you can like use aave because no matter what aave is weaponized because of white supremacy yeah. so like there is really 
there's really no need to yell at each other. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, there's really no need to like get angry at each other um, in this situation. I actually saw this book that was being written by um, a Korean American person who she was actually raised in a full black family. Um, she she was adopted as a child, a very young child from Korea, and she wrote a book on it. It was it's called Too Much Soul. And she was just speaking on her experiences as, you know, an individual who's Asian American racially, but then like ethnically she identifies with black culture because that's all that she was surrounded with. And so like, if you see her talk and just like the way that she acts and the culture that she identifies with, it's black culture because that's all that she's known, you know? And um, so I thought that was a really interesting case about just saying, because what, what I think the issue is, is because blackness, black is very complex because it's both a race and an ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Because ever since African Americans were taken from Africa, from the slave ships, and then like severed from their culture, mm-hmm. uh, they had to create a new culture from the ground up. And so that culture was widely based on the fact that they were black, you know, racially and physically. and you know, like legally too, um, just like concerning the rights that they had. And so because that they had to create this new culture from the ground up, it, there's like, then blackness became an ethnicity. At that point, blackness was an ethnicity too. And so it's just really complex because then if blackness is an ethnicity, then technically like people who grow up like with that ethnicity can also claim that ethnicity. But then they shouldn't be able to claim the racial aspects of it. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I like black, the concept of blackness itself and just kind of like, like how you're mentioning the, the racial and ethnic identity. Like, Mm -hmm. I definitely think it's just so, it's so hard to kind of like draw that line of mm-hmm. what is what is anti-black what is appreciating black culture what is just assimilating to black culture what is the appropriation and the abuse of black culture and i think mm-hmm. i think in general the black community has just had a rough rough go at things just in Not general yet. obviously <laughs> you know um but i think the real battleground right now is kind of like the ideology and the um like the credentialing of blackness and black culture to a sense that we are trying to reclaim things as fast and as like militantly as possible and it just so happens that aabe is the one of the biggest things that has been like at least with the internet and social media it's one of the biggest and largest displays of kind of like the co-opting of black culture and black individuals especially black women and especially the black lgbtqia plus community are struggling to keep the reins on kind of like that element of culture because it's huge Mm -hmm. and it is Mm -hmm. something that you know it's something that honestly like I mean, I mentioned earlier, like earlier in the previous recording, how Trayvon Martin's mom, like her testimony was thrown out because she was speaking in AABE. So like, it is literally, there is so much violence and kind of like 
the usage of AAVE and then you go on TikTok and you see these white little teeny boppers going who shall so uh-huh. it's kind of like so it's kind of like I think at this point it's kind of like black people are str- like trying to gain the reins on something yeah. on, a, on a train that is moving way too fast exactly it's it's because I feel like in American culture at least um black people have this hyper visibility yeah. Like, it just feels like the camera's always on us, you know? And so it's just, like, because of that fact, then there's this, like, commodification of black culture. And so then people start thinking it's really cool. And so then, like you said, you get some, like, um, teeny boppers on TikTok being, like, woo child. And it's like, um, what are you talking about? Like, you, you did not grow up in that environment. That is not your culture. And so that that's the point at which it's wrong, you know? You're you're using a culture that's not yours if you have to perform or put on a mask to act a certain way then that's not natural and that's you appropriating that culture um so yeah that's the point at which it's wrong yeah i agree i think but i also think that i think at least just a valid critique of the black community even though like I know that some people will come out of the woodwork for this one and be like, Jordan, shut your mouth. But it's true. (laughs) I think we need to do a better job at discerning what is performance and what is just kind of like circumstance. And we have Mm -hmm. to be willing to realize and accept that some people will, because of the hyper visibility and because like black people in the black community are the face of kind of like what is cool and some people are get so genuinely invested in participating in black culture that they begin to identify with it Mm. and we have to figure out what we do with those people and i think like and that has that could either be through exposure through popular culture or exposure through the environment or just simply you know being adopted by a black family or living Mm -hmm. among black people and you just begin to identify and co-op black culture because that's all you see and we have to make a concrete decision on what do we do with these people and i don't think it's enough to just be like you're anti-black because that is not i think that's that's not enough that's not specific enough i think like just putting the anti-black blanket over just non-black people like speaking in an ave like there's there's degrees and difference and i also think just in general Mm -hmm. with social media social media is an echo chamber and does is not you know and is not kind of good with nuance which i probably will do a piece about the fundamental ideas of social media and talk about more about that but anyways um and so the nuanced conversation of really what is anti-blackness and how do we describe and categorize what is anti-black and what is not um Mm. definitely needs to be done it needs to be done quickly (laughs) it needs to be done very quickly Um, but also carefully and carefully and carefully yeah well that's actually super interesting i'm glad you brought that up because i feel like i've always looked at people with like a side eye on like uh you're very apparently appropriating black culture but then i also need to consider like sometimes people don't understand that as appropriating black culture but just doing what's in right now you know so yeah interesting and we have to figure out what to do with these people and Mm -hmm. i feel like just 
I feel like there are things that are wrongly tasked of the black community and things that are rightly tasked of the black community. And I think the black community definitely needs to be more tasked with drawing the concrete parameters around black culture. And I definitely think it can be done, but it has to be done by people who are culturally notable in a way that is a way that is empathetic and that is clear in a way that's like, okay, so, you know, let's have an open, honest conversation about what anti-blackness is and what anti-blackness looks like. Um, but I also think, you know, there are so many things being asked of the black community. They're tasked with so many wrong things about, you know, educating people about racism and having to stand up for themselves in like a like in the corporate world world and i mean even the simple everyday battle of a black woman like um trying to figure out which hairstyle got you fired because it's apparently like you know not fully legal like it's not fully legal in this entire country to discriminate against a black woman of like with braids in or with her natural hair, it's wild. So it's kind of like the, the black community has so much to do. And yeah. like, and I feel like this, I don't know, sometimes I feel like the bogging down of the black community and keeping them so busy with their own oppression, like, so that, you know, um, that like non-black people or white people particularly could just go in and steal black culture for just for fun like i definitely think that's an element of white supremacy but yeah that's the issue though because it's like if black people need to spend all this time focusing on working out the oppression and like combating against it while these other people can just take from the culture without experiencing any of that oppression then of course that is not right here you know so I feel like it just comes back to that and everybody knows that's wrong or well they should so yeah really complex it should at this point but like how much progress are we gonna make let's be honest how much progress we're gonna make maybe i feel like everybody else like i feel like what we're talking about kind of like the the ideological consciousness of racism which is a completely unrelated topic but i want to say it um it's kind of like all the communities of color like standing together like kind of like mm-hmm. kind of like in a think of like a high school cafeteria where you're like allowed to eat wherever you want and it's like mm-hmm. your group of friends and like it's like the community of color like over here just like talking amongst themselves and it's the white community that's like taking forever to like get their food and come to the table <laughs> like i feel like that's just what's happening like in mm. the ideological consciousness of racism where white like all the communities of cover uh, color are like yeah like we agree like white supremacy is the problem here is like let's talk about like anti-blackness let's talk about you know how the model minority myth is destroying like the perception of asian americans and completely erases south south asian people in general or let's talk about you know native american native Amer- the native american community and how no one talks about them but they really should mm-hmm. be talked about you know and it's like we're all sitting here having these intelligent conversations and the one community that can actually do stuff about it is too busy worrying about, I don't know, economic recession, like climate change. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. Like, they, they are so busy worried about everything else except for dismantling mm. the one thing that can liberate all of us. 
but mm-hmm. it's like we're all at the cafeteria tables they're busy picking out what salad they're gonna get like come on come to the table <laughs> it's either like they're deciding between like the really like scanty like salad with only the leaves but they're like Kar- the kardashians eat this and then or, like a salad that they're like that is like nutrient rich and like going to like sustain them for like the rest of the day and they're like going back and forth between the two options and that's not even like a symbolic thing of just kind of like the willingness uh, and the embrace of superficiality in white culture that is mm-hmm. literally just to say that I wanted to make fun of the kardashians for some reason <laughs> but anyway um, but that can be a point I, I really should just allow myself to be smart whenever reason. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, but I really think, you know, it's really kind of like, we're just waiting. Like, we're just waiting. And will they ever come to the table? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It's hard. Because it's like, we're, we're doing all that we can to call them to the table. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're, um, we are trying mm-hmm. so hard. We are trying so hard. And they're like, but I want the salad with the pecans, you know? And it's kind of like, like, we're dying. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> wake up, we're dying. Also, I just want to throw this in there. I think it's really interesting that, like, for instance, if somebody from America, like me, just started talking with, like, a French accent and was, like, wearing, like, French clothes and stuff like that, it'd be very apparent that I was not, you know, from there. And all that sort of stuff. And so it's like, how come like those terms are so clear cut and defined? But then like when black culture is appropriated here in America, it's like people don't really look at it weird. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let <laughs> let's talk about the diaspora. Um <laughs> 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 but, but I mean, I generally think that I'm let me not let me not offend the white people listening well, actually let me do it i <laughs> i think you know when it comes like white supremacy makes whiteness the achievable thing everybody wants it everybody wants to have assimilation to it and so when you're at the top there's nothing else to make you different besides being at the top I feel like there is an obsession with the white community about having white culture or substantiating the spot that you are on the social hierarchy, which makes it more kind of like a cultural thing that white people are like, but my parents come from Italy and my Mm. parents come from Russia. And, you know, because it's kind of like they were kind of put on this hierarchy at the top, but they don't really have anything else that is that is truly theirs except for where they came from um, versus kind of like the black community and the black culture that, or any community of colors culture where we just have things. And I think that's just kind of it. We just have stuff and we're, I'm sorry, but we're generally more interesting. Like it just is true. You cannot deny. Like, <laughs> like I really, I really wish like I could lie, but I can't, I can't. I have to simply tell the truth. Um, <laughs> like, like I just, it is what it is, and I think yeah. you know, like it really is. And also, like talking about the oppression Olympics, like a to- like a term coined by a white person to describe 
like like since that's being applied to communities of color but also it's literally white people trying to figure out a way to say that they're oppressed because they want to fit in because they want to have something like mm-hmm. you guys don't have anything i'm sorry you guys don't like i think it's it's interesting the way that you mentioned that like whiteness is on the top yeah um but then it also sort of associates like these different cultures with different like your place in the hierarchy like the socioeconomic hierarchy and so like because like blackness is associated with like you know being on the bottom of that hierarchy so then when other people who like perceive themselves as like lower on the rung then they start to perceive themselves as more associated with blackness and so maybe that's why they feel more comfortable taking on these aspects of black culture even though they like not weren't necessarily exposed to those things that is true. That's really interesting that you bring that up. That just kind of like blackness is kind of like the lower rung. Like not only like black people are seen as like the least desirable, but like the most hyper visible, but also like black people are the face of poverty and their face of struggle. And, you know, if someone like an Asian American person or a white person who is an impoverished and in a predominantly white and a predominantly black community, like, they're going to identify themselves with black culture. And it Mm -hmm. kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It's kind of like, we just need to figure out what to do with them. Like, are they anti-black? And we need to find like, and if they're not, what are they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually probably where like Nina is coming from and China Mac is coming from because it's like, there, there might be some things that make it look like they're appropriating black culture, but they're just doing things that may look like it's, from black culture because there's such a like what is it arbitrary tie between blackness and um being lower class just because of the oppression that's been happening to black people for hundreds of years so wow but i also don't want to mistake that because i know nothing about china mac i wanted to say on the record that i know nothing about china mac besides like that they are involved in this situation because they spoke <laughs> in favor of nina and that is the that's the beginning and ending of my knowing of that person um which is to say that i don't have the jurisdiction or the comfort level to say that they are not performing blackness but with mm. the little bit that i know about nina from research and kind of like actually looking at her content you would say that she is performing blackness to a certain extent but i think where boba kami's critique fell short was only focusing on aave let's talk about how the performance of blackness like looks like in terms of kind of like mannerisms fashion you know, kind of like other aspects that are harder to claim. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know what I mean? I feel like like they only focus on one particular thing, which like, again, AAVE is already hard enough on its own. Yeah. But we can also tell that people are performing blackness by the way that they dress. Like some people mm-hmm. who dress a certain way, you kind of like, huh? Like, are you pretending to like? Are you are you assimilating yeah. to black culture? Are you appropriating black culture? So mm-hmm. I feel like there's, like, it's just very tricky to call her out, and also like just her using the n word is inappropriate. But yeah. and that action is anti-black. But I mean, what about the rest of her persona? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is exactly where Bobakami's. Um, accusations fell short because it's like she's focusing on 
only the way that she talked and wasn't using much else to support her claims that like Nina was appropriating black culture because there's so many other things that are like more concrete that would show like okay yeah Nina is very evidently appropriating black culture that are evident in the other examples that um Eileen brought up in her TikTok like I mean Rich Brian's old name and like Aquafina's um performances like those are more apparent depictions of appropriating from black culture but in Nina's case not so much yeah like I don't know I feel like the argument just always kind of falls flat and I don't want to say that in a way to be like because I'm not also pretending to be an expert in just like black issues and black studies like I just Mm -hmm. am a black person that likes to pay attention to things that concern the black community (laughs) and I think that will just be my expertise Um, but I think you know I don't know whether or not to call Nina like anti-black because she's in that really weird category of like just being around black people and Mm -hmm. I mean no one is saying that being around black people is wrong so it's kind of like, like so it's kind of like is she like I don't know I am in the same dilemma honestly it's it's hard to parse and so We don't have the answers, but we'll hope that some of our listeners might help us think through those answers. So that's all, folks. Uh, Thank you, Jalen, again for being on this episode. Be sure to check out his piece in the description below, as well as all the sources that I mentioned to find out more information. Um, But that's all I got. Be safe, everyone. Be well. Drink some water. Wear your mask. Um, And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.